Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. And today we have Brent and Kyle Peace, brothers who are amazing triathletes, uh, raced Kona this year, also the authors of Beyond the Finish. We'll make sure you can see this for people tuning in on video, uh, Beyond the Finish. Uh, Kyle and Brent, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. So this is a pretty amazing thing. You guys raced Kona in 2018, uh, the first uh, brothers to compete together, and um, and of course following uh, Rick and Dick Hoyt um, and, and their pathway of, of doing it this way. How did you get started as triathletes? Um, it started in 2010 when I with Brett invited the family to go up in where I can compete in the first Ironman. And I would get enthralled by by everything that I saw that day, and it reminded me a lot of my life and what I go through on a daily basis. And I grew up a big sports fan, and I always wanted to be on the other side of the fence and not watching my brothers compete. So, um, yeah, it started 2010. 2010, and and uh, what got uh, what got you guys into that specific sport of triathlon? I mean, it, for me, it was really just a personal journey. You know, we were as we were talking a little bit before. I mean, I was kind of the same thing. I had a lot of things that were certainly very close or on the addiction spectrum, just chasing a lot of unhealthy habits. And so, started with a 10k for me, and I remember being so sore after that first 10k, and I was like, "This is awesome!" And that it slowly built up and. You know, Kyle and my family were watching as I was building up, and when I hit that Ironman triathlon, I grew up swimming, and so mm -hmm. it kind of felt like a natural fit from running to get back in the pool to buying a bike, mm -hmm. and so it started for me in 2007, and by 2010 was when I was ready for that first Ironman, mm -hmm. and so as, as Kyle mentioned, he came along and saw that experience, and so that became the thing we wanted to do together. Plus, when you know, you go to these triathlons and there's no shortage of inspiration. You look around and it's, you watch people crawl across the finish line. You see people that, you know, don't belong in an endurance event or you don't think they should and yet they're passing you and they're going, <laughs> they go by you like you're standing still and it just, it became something that spoke to both of us and, and to share it in this fully inclusive way was, was pretty cool. Now we, um, for those listening, uh, an Ironman triath triathlon is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile marathon. That's right. Finish it all off with a marathon. Finish it all. Just that's <laughs> just just a bit at the end. And uh, so what? Uh, so Kyle, we'll start with you. What is the hardest part of a triathlon? Um, the bike. The bike is really hard. It's our probably greatest equalizer. Um, because I'm in a position that I'm normally not in. The wheelchair that I'm in right now is very custom to my needs, you know, and the, the bike is not. So um, <laughs> to be on the bike for eight and a half hours really tests not only my physical stamina, but my mental stamina as well. But looking back now, the whole thing is pretty hard too. <laughs> so, yeah. And then is you with uh, Kyle. So, um, you know, with uh, with Kyle, with you having cerebral palsy and uh, are there certain things that are different from you for you as a racer uh, for that? Um, no, I get I get feel like I'm even though I don't do the physical activity of the discipline, 
uh, I feel like I'm very evolved in. Yeah. I feel like I'm the coach sometimes. <laughs> or a good jockey that gives them a, a good pat on the back and uh, gives them, give them words of encouragement. Not always a good pat on the back. <laughs> sometimes it's a very a strong hand. Yeah. Slapping the back. But. Yeah. Now, do you do you? Uh, what kind of encouragement or trash talk do you give your brother? Uh, I don't there? know. What we could say on this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, it's a lot of you know. I think I can. You know, good job, buddy. You know, and the other stuff. I don't know if it's a pop way for the podcast. Kyle, but. Kyle's learned the sport as I have, uh-huh. and so right. in addition to knowing. I mean, he gets technical. He knows what our splits are. He looks at the bike computer and knows what the wattage, he knows what our power output should be. Yeah. But he also knows from a lifetime together as brothers, you know, when he needs to yell and when he needs to hold my hand and when he needs to talk me off the ledge. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I'll, I'll be craving him to just give me a hug and tell me it's going to be okay. And then at that moment, he says this, like, kind, reassuring thing. Or there's moments where I'm in my head, where I'm, you know, I'm not even thinking about the fact that I'm helping him. I'm only worried about myself. And we all do this in endurance sports. And all of a sudden, Kyle starts yelling at me <laughs> and he's barking at me. And, you know, I remember our coach actually in Hawaii saying, he goes, I was haunted by some of the things your brother was saying. to you." <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time, he has siblings and he has kids that are that are siblings. And he's like, I get it. Like you guys, it's almost an unspoken language, right? Like with your kids, you see them sometimes and you're like, it's so amazing to watch. And it happens over the course of 140.6 miles for us over and over. Who, who's, uh, who's older, who's younger? Uh, so, uh, we actually have a, another brother, I'm a twin. Uh-huh. And so we're gonna be 35 in a oh, couple wow. of weeks. Uh-huh. And then is the big brother two years older. Oh, okay, okay, nice, nice. And uh, when you guys are, are doing these races, um, I know you pull from a lot of different inspirations. Who, who are your inspirational people that you think about when you're training and when you're racing? Um, I, think about, I think about our parents and I, um, that they laid the foundation for it. And um, I think about the people in our foundation that fight and overcome their challenges every day. Um, I definitely draw inspiration from Brett, you know, because he put a lot of hard work in there into what we're doing. Um, and I would get to everybody to show them what is possible and you shouldn't be labeled because of a disability or whatever the case might be for them, knowing that, you know, you can overcome your obstacles as well. Mm-hmm. It it change it it. There's always that extra thing that comes in, but but for me, it's the same thing that we started with. You know, it's Kyle and and watching him. I think, you know, we've we've mentioned it, but now we've learned through this experience that Kyle's really the best athlete in our house. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know what the outlet was for him to showcase that. And I've watched him put himself through some of the most intense and difficult conditions. I mean, Hawaii is not for everybody. It's incredibly challenging. And Kyle, you know, pushes himself in ways that are hard to imagine sometimes for somebody that sees him sitting sitting in a chair and thinks, what's so hard? But imagine if you sat in a chair 16, 18 hours a day and then had to push your body through 140.6 miles. So that always motivates me and gives me that internal drive to keep pushing. 
Now it's really, especially with Kona, Hawaii, it's really hot. The wind is terrible. It's extremely humid. Um, but one of the ways you get through that is through eating. We we're just talking about this off air, but eating like small children. Yeah. So what do you eat during a race? So Kona is white gloves treatment. I'm not sure if you're familiar, you know, but the volunteer support is second to none. And so one of the things that's a magic elixir for me in training and racing is Coca-Cola. Yeah. So if I'm in a really dark place or struggling physically or mentally, salt and vinegar chips, Coca-Cola. Well, on the course in Hawaii, they take the top off the Coke and they put a sip top on it for you. <laughs> so, you know, because I had done that in training, my coach was like, look, if you need Coke on the course, they'll have it. It's cold, it's chilled, grab it. But Kyle, you can't have it because you never trained that way. So Kyle had to wait, but that was my favorite thing in Hawaii. So at around the 50 mile mark, I started grabbing Coke at every aid station. So here I am, I'm sure it was way more caffeine than I needed, but it's, but it's sugar, it's carbonation. And so that's like my, my big special treat or my guilty pleasure out there. Uh -huh. I would do, um, I like a lot of salt. Yeah. Um, so pretzels, chips, Skittles, uh, I guess, Stuff to keep the body is the, Skittles is still the small child in Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> we always, at every race, we always have Skittles somewhere, just oh, yeah. in case. Well, it's actually, a lot of people don't know that, but when you're doing triathlons, and I, I do them not to the extent that you guys do, but I mean, that's kind of a nice time to cheat. Is oh, when for you're, sure. When you're racing. Although you guys get it, when I go, it's like in a half of a Dixie cup and it's flat and warm <laughs> yeah. and the Coke does not taste nearly as good. Oh, ours and, was fresh. It was awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit jealous right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you're training, so uh, I guess next time when you, you're training for Kona, are you, uh, and I'm talking to Kyle here, are you going to train with Coke and the other things so you can have it on the course? Um. Yeah, you know, I never thought of it. I, I do enjoy a good Coke, so yeah, I might have to, <laughs> I might have to put that into the repertoire for sure. <laughs> now, how do you guys train? Do you train solo or together or, or is it a combination? That's part of the fun is that we get to do this together. Mm -hmm. So usually like 12 weeks out from a race, we start getting together for training sessions. So, you know, for Kona, it was more than that, but you know, every other week we were doing something typically on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So Kyle was putting in 10 to 12 hours per week and I was putting in 20 to 25 hours per week of training. So about 50% of my training a lot of times was with Kyle. And that was, that's more, sometimes that's even more pleasurable because we're just, we're relaxed. You're hanging out. There's no intense race environment. There's no race clock, you know, screaming at you that you got to hurry up and get there. So, um, if nothing else, we'll always get to enjoy that part of this together. And now, Kyle, now do you do you beat Brent up? Because I know you said you have to get up really early for work. Yeah, um, I, I'm. A, I guess now that I have to work those hours, I'm a early riser. So I always say I always wake up early, and uh, I'm always in my wheelchair ready to go. with Brent just started to wake up. <laughs> okay, but Brent does a, a lot of prep work the night before mm -hmm. um, with all of our water bottles and all of our stuff that we need for a successful day. So, um, yeah, so, you know, but it's a great time and I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, what do you do for work? Um, when, you, when you're not training, what are you doing early for work? Um, so I work at a local hospital in Atlanta, uh -huh. um, be my healthcare, and I work in their customer service department. Uh -huh. So I customer circus. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell people where to go. I, 
you know, help people find their loved ones and take people to do, take people to labor delivery and I'll take you, but I won't help you have the baby. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, but it's a great job. Yeah, smart man. Yeah, I would not. I would pass that off to somebody else too. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, Brent, what do you do for uh, for work besides this? So I have a um, small coaching business. So I actually uh-huh. help some people do marathons and triathlons, and then um, I run the foundation as well. Okay, and tell us about that. What is the the Kyle uh, Peace Foundation? So the Kyle Peace Foundation is a nonprofit aimed to improve the lives of people with disabilities through sports. So Kyle and I started it in 2011 um, and have helped people find their inner endurance athlete. So 5K, Ironman, we've had a couple of people do Ironmans besides yeah. Kyle. Um, just anything just to show them what this inclusive world can look like and just what their possible is. I think, uh, you know, we would do our presentations, I always make it this, you know, we do we rely on dollars to, you know, get get away more races and recruit more athletes to join us. But I think that we all have characters, right? And for our foundation athletes, they have pretty serious characters. But when they come in race, they can forget about those characters. And they can be the athlete. And for the parent or the guardian, they could be the soccer mom. They could be the soccer dad. They hang out with other parents and, you know, just enjoy, you know, watching their son or daughter cross the finish line. Mm-hmm. Very cool. What advice would you have for either parents or athletes who may have some challenges who want to compete? And that's, a, by the way, that's a question um, from Shane Clayton. And we got some questions from online. Yeah. And so he had that question. Then also, where do you get your equipment? <laughs> well, I would say to parents, I'd like oversimplifying it like my dad's, like my dad does, is it's going to be okay. It's so hard. I mean, you know, you remember being a first-time parent with an able-bodied child and you're freaking out. You're like, I have to keep this thing alive. I have to care and nurture this thing. And throw a disability on top of that and imagine what that parent feels like, but it's going to be okay. Your, your child can grow up to work at a hospital and go speak and go do Ironmans and do these incredible things with their life. And it's going to be okay. It just, we see it. There's, there's certainly more struggles or more evidence, but, um, I like, I just love what my dad says. So Kyle turned out all right. So, um, the equipment, um, that we race with, um, we get the boats from a company called advanced elements. Uh So they make an inflatable kayak, which we've found for people with disabilities works wonders that we can, we can manipulate how we're going to put them in it. Whereas a rigid boat may only offer one or two positions. So the way Kyle sits in a boat is not the way others may, Mm -hmm. um, for the bike, there's a company out of Winnipeg, um, called freedom concepts. So our goal was for Kyle and for all the other athletes that we work with that they got to have the experience as a cyclist so they're on the front the winds in their face they're not being towed like we may tow tow our 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 children um so they've helped us develop a bike really since 2011 so um on the back of the book we can we can show that photo or we can share it with you guys as well but we actually helped manipulated the bike for the winds in hawaii oh wow so normally kyle sits directly upright just like any cyclist but for Hawaii, we had him at a 45 degree angle Mm because we were we're a little worried about what that wind might do to us. Um, and the chairs we get from several different places. There's actually a lot of, um, places we get some in Snellville, Georgia. So right in our backyard, 
Um, we get some from Tacoma, Washington, and then they make, um, there's a company that makes what's effectively an adult stroller that can hold up to a 250 pounds. So oh, wow. we have a warehouse full of toys for people yeah. with disabilities. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, and you were telling me earlier, and I found out that we actually raced uh, one race together, the uh, Muncie half Ironman, yeah. Muncie, Indiana. And, uh, do you like, uh, so Kyle, do you like running over people in a boat? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't get run over, by the way. This yeah, was a good. friend of theirs, so I, I was, uh, I may have just beaten you guys, but just barely. I mean, yeah, I, you know, yeah I, I really like, you know, I get those competitive juices going, and of course, I like to go fast in the boat. Uh, so yeah, I do like, I do like running over people in the boat. <laughs> in the safest way possible in the safest way possible we were saying this is inflatable this is the the best way to do it yeah, we're yeah. not talking about some some kind of viking ship here it's yeah. something else so very cool now one of the things you guys are are kind of uh, i don't know i wouldn't say passing baton but rick and dick hoyt are you know two of the pioneers in this mm -hmm. this type of uh racing and triathlons and marathons and that sort of thing tell me about your relationship with them and kind of what they're they're doing with you guys so i, I would love to actually just tell you two quick stories about it i mean obviously when we first got into it the first people we reached out to were the hoyts and they're famous for responding to every email or every letter that they get it's just something they've always done and so they immediately came back to us with this list of all the things that we should get it's how we started finding some of these companies um so they you know they've always encouraged inclusion and in, in sharing this so that was some really good inspiration to start especially thinking about as we look at it now that it's not just Kyle and I, it's so much more, but the really, the second thing that happened that was amazing is Kyle. I had met him a couple of times at various races, but Kyle had just always missed them in person. And we were at the Falmouth road race last August, which is a seven mile race along Cape Cod. And, uh, <clears throat> Kyle was, Kyle and I were both talking to Dick and he was starting to ask some questions and I got a phone call that I had to take. And so I stepped away and I came back and Dick was asking Kyle about Hawaii. And, and as you know, Rick is nonverbal mm -hmm. and Dick had tears in his eyes. And I told my dad afterwards, the thought that I had was here's a guy talking to the only other person that's experienced what his son has. Mm. And he's hearing maybe for the first time how special it was, you know, the things, the gifts that he gave his son and, and seeing the way that it impacted Kyle and, and so many more. And that was really, I'm glad that somebody called me. I'm glad I got to just step back and watch that. Wow. I think, um, first of all, they are great athletes, um, and they are, they, you said it by, they are the pioneers, um, and they are, they are the biggest cheerleaders, because there are so many more athletes that do what me and Fred do, but they paved the way, they opened the door. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. Um, it's me, Dick, you know. It's like me, you know, it's like winning the Super Bowl because he's so nice. He's so generous with his time. And like Fred said a couple minutes ago, you know, for me to verbalize how I felt really, and you could see that he was genuinely like thankful that I was able to communicate that to her because maybe Rick felt that way or you know, 
maybe he didn't see it from that perspective. So it was an honor to meet them. That's amazing. I love hearing that because I've I've followed them for a long time, and yeah. that's that's cool. So I'm I'm glad you're able to share that with him and and communicate to them. I'm sure that was really special to him. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you guys are not only you know well known in the triathlon world, but apparently you're 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 big men on campus in the Atlanta sports scene. So big players. Uh, who are your sports teams you like, and which sports teams like you guys? Uh, <laughs> I think both of us follow the makers, the three makers sports teams in Atlanta, the professional sports teams. And my list starts with the Falcons, um, and then the Braves, and then the Hawks. And I would say that the Falcons and the Braves are big um, supporters of what we do. Mm-hmm. I remember when we finished Kona, the Braves posted on their social media about us, and that was really cool. And, um, and then the Falcons are a good group of guys as well. Yeah, and you guys were honored at a Falcons or at a um, mm-hmm. at a Braves game after Kona, and maybe yeah. Falcons as well. But I know the Braves games. We were talking about that earlier. We're here in Nashville, and Dansby, yeah. Dansby Swanson, yeah, former number one overall pick from Vanderbilt here in Nashville, you got to hang out with you guys. Tell yeah. us what that was like. Uh, well, Kyle's got more world championships than Dansby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dansby was he was really cool. He was. He didn't know about triathlon, so we kind of had to explain that to him. <laughs> um, but he was really, he was in awe of all of our accomplishments, so it was really cool. You want to, I mean, you want to not be starstruck. You want to be, you know, cool and, like, just talking to him like a guy, but you can't help it. I mean, this is a number one <laughs> overall pick. This is a professional baseball player. But then when he's talking to Kyle as he's an elite athlete, mm-hmm. again, for me to watch that was amazing you're like you're Dansby Swanson and you're talking to him like what he did is bigger than being out here in front of whatever 35,000 people every night you know and that was plus he was just he couldn't have been more accommodating and genuine and generous with his time to us so that was pretty cool yeah and the Falcons too I mean I I like what you guys were saying and the things that they've done with you guys with uh, Dan uh, Dan Quinn who's the Who's the head coach and and a really respectful person? What what's your relationship with them and and how what have you learned from them? Um, Dan's your buddy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan Quinn is an outstanding man, and um, he really has communicated and talked about the brotherhood with the team, and I think that me and Brett have a very special brotherhood. It's what we do. And so I think, you know, those kind of overlap. Sometimes I wish the Falcons would do a better job with their brotherhood. But, um, <laughs> but it's really cool to see um, the interaction with Dan and myself when, whenever we get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't always talk about S and O's, um, but we can talk about life and how do I go for both of us? 
Yeah, very cool, very cool. So, um, you know, uh, one of the, the best stories, I know uh, Shannon, who's your manager, said, I love the story. So um, where you have inspired so many people and to do so many things, but one of the, the best stories I've heard was the New York City Marathon, which I've never heard of this happening before. Yeah. So can you guys tell us about, so New York City Marathon, largest marathon in the world. It's November every year. What year was What year was 2015. this? 2015. 2015. And so you're in... Um, uh, you're in one of the, the chairs, you said, is it Freedom? Or was this it? was uh, um, Eagle Sports Chairs. Eagle Sports Chairs. And so uh, you're racing um, the New York City Marathon, 50,000 people or so. You're at mile eight. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Well, so to just one quick stage setting, as the foundation grew, like when we first started this, our marketing plan was just to race every month. We, were, we wanted people to know about this work that we were trying to do. So by 2015, the foundation had grown to a point that Kyle and I said, you know, we need to keep one race that's kind of just for us each year where we can take a deep breath from everything that we're doing and just enjoy it. And we got into the New York City Marathon through a lottery program. So we were the first part of the first five athletes to ever race that. And so and it was truly worldwide. There was a family from Germany, Australia, Korea, and then two families from the United States. And so this was this international group. We'd been waiting for this thing forever. And so at mile eight, the chair starts to wobble and I'm not really sure what's going on. And Kyle says, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think everything's fine. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And by mile 13, I'm really having to fight this chair. And so Kyle is about 115 pounds. The chair is about 17 pounds. So you're trying to push 130 plus pounds down the road and it's not, I mean, it's like pushing it through sand, through sand. And so I kind of peek through the wheel. We have these covers and there's three broken spokes. So Mm. one spoke is bad. Three is catastrophic. And the next step we took, the wheel crumbled under Kyle's weight, and he was basically laying on the side of the road. Um, And so, you know, we did what any two typical males would do, and I stripped him out of the chair, and I started walking up a hill. And uh, I would love to end the story and say, and then I carried him for (laughs) 13.1 miles, but I made it about about 100 yards. Yeah. It, it's getting longer. I think it was probably closer to 50 yards um, <laughs> as the legend grows. But I mean, we didn't get very far. Yeah. And so I took Kyle to a medical tent that was nearby and we laid him on a cot. And um, we just were determined. We, this was our thing by ourselves. And we were like, we have to finish. We have to at least try before we quit. And so I actually got in the back of a police vehicle. They drove me to a bike shop. The bike shop tells me it's going to take a day or two to get the thing. I'm like sweating. I've got the bib on. <laughs> and I get back and there's a race official. Um, getting ready to hand Kyle some paperwork to sign to pull us out of the race. And I was like, we need two more minutes. And what we did was we took a bunch of rope out of the medical tent and some blankets and we tied the rope to the axle and then slung the rope over my shoulder and started walking. And again, we didn't get very far and it was looking like we weren't gonna be able to finish. And this woman stops and says, you guys need help. And after a little bit of back and forth, we, we agreed to give up this you know, this two, we're going to do this amazing thing. We're like, we just want to finish. So she starts helping us. And about two miles later, about mile 16, this male uh, runner stops and he starts helping us. And that became our team. So two people, two strangers give up their race. And then the three of us are carrying this mangled wheelchair. And we went from running like seven and a half minute miles to 13 to eventually doing 22 minute miles. Mm. Um, And as we sit here and we're telling all these great stories of brotherly bonds and brotherly love at this point Kyle and I are just like any other brothers we're fighting we don't we're angry at each other I'm angry at him <laughs> for making me stay out there he's angry at me for trying to quit and um, I pulled Kyle to the side of the road I made the strangers stand to the side and I said I, I don't want to keep going I'm done 
I can't handle this. And he looked at me and said, well, I'm going to finish. And if you want to quit, you can quit. <laughs> and talking about like, he almost knows what to say. I just saw this look in his eyes that was like, okay, I can do this. And after seven and a half hours, we came across the finish line um, and finished. And there was no fanfare. There was nobody waiting for us. There was no lights or cameras. It was just this woman who had, was handling the disab disabled athletes and these two strangers and they're bawling. And Kyle and I are like angry at each other. <laughs> but I, 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 I mean, it was just this amazing experience that we, we look back. It took us a little while to talk about it yeah. because we really were so angry. In fact, we got in the cab after the race, and I've got a, I get a call from a friend of ours um, who really helped us get started when we started this journey, just support physically, mentally, financially. And she starts, she's bawling on the other line. And she says, you guys just gave everybody this amazing gift and showing that you never give up. And I'm, now I'm crying as she's telling me this story. And Kyle, as, he didn't have this wheelchair. He didn't have his fancy chair. So he's even more, he's, he's facing every disability. Mm -hmm. So I get off the phone and I try to explain to him what she's saying. And I've, my face is covered in tears. And he goes, well, you're a wuss, you quit. <laughs> and I said, well, you're a jerk. And we started screaming at each other in the back of this cab. We're fighting now. And we get back to the hotel and, you know, eventually we just hugged and, you know, it took us a little while to realize like, and that wasn't about what we did. It was about what the strangers did. It was about the community that supports us. And it's, it, now it's this incredible legendary story of, you know, carrying a broken wheelchair for seven and a half hours. And the, the ironic thing was the young lady that helped us for 13 miles actually had a fractured foot. Oh, wow. That she discovered, but they both still run with the foundation. Um, so they come down to Atlanta and they, they push a wheelchair. So it was, it's a bond that has continued to, to stay. And uh, it's really cool. And then a year later, uh, we got to go back to New York. And uh, <laughs> kind of eventually what happened. Brett kept pointing out, yep, this is, when the, this is when the wheels started to wobble. Yes, this is when we, this is when I pulled you out. This is when we started walking. This is when you yelled at me. <laughs> all right, well, here we go again. Yeah, we hashing it all over again. So but I think that race really... Um, put us on the map a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was more than the race. It was a true testament of our love and our and our brotherhood. Um, like you mentioned earlier, and uh, I think that really made our bond a lot stronger. I know we know some of the same race directors and everything. What advice would you have for race directors, whether it's triathlon or just uh, regular road running races? to uh, be more accommodating to uh, like tandems like yourself yeah. or uh, other challenged athletes? Go ahead. I think that's a really good question. Um, I think you just have to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. You have to advocate for yourself because they don't know unless you tell them. And so, you know, you might have to write several emails, you know, and then it's like the handshake discussion we were having before. Just ask, because we can carry Kyle up a flight of stairs. So like, you know, the Chattanooga half, mm -hmm. we think we know we can carry Kyle up the stairs to get out of the water. But 
the race directors, you know, to really yeah. truly include tandems like ourselves, you have to just ask the questions because yeah. there are more, there's more people doing this because of the Hoyts, because of Kyle, like they want to do this stuff. So just ask and you can figure out how they can be a part yeah. of it. Um, there's, as Kyle says, where there's a wheel, there's a way, so. And, you know, there's so many other teams that are doing what Brent and I want the Hoyts have done. And so I think the more teams, the more equity that we have, the better it will be. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about the Kyle Peace Foundation, go to kylepeacefoundation.org. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.